Zechariah chapter 12. Do you have that? Let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. Zechariah chapter 12. And we'll be looking at verses 9 and 10, and then we'll jump into the beginning of the book. It says there, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And so we're going to take two weeks to cover the book of Zechariah. There's just so much here to cover in one week. And the title of the Bible study is, The King is Coming. The King is Coming. Let's pray. God, we ask that you open our hearts and our eyes and our ears tonight. Help us to understand a book that is, uh, like many of the other minor prophets, uh, skimmed over. uh, Lord, uh, not read, not studied very much, not preached from much either. And God, as we dive into it and try to understand it, give us discerning hearts. And I pray, God, that everyone here would leave excited tonight about what we've looked at and studied and so, uh, God, help us to, uh, be, Lord, be excited about your coming, uh, Lord, your, your kingdom here on earth, but, Lord, the rapture that will happen first. And we await the imminent return of Christ. We're excited for that day where you'll come back in the clouds, the trumpet will sound, and those of us that are saved, uh, believers, will be raptured or caught up in, into the skies. We can't wait for that day. Help us to live each day in anticipation for that and being obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, uh, how many of you here enjoy uh, diving below the surface of the Bible? How many of you enjoy that? Uh, if you enjoy that, you're really go- going to enjoy tonight. And if you've never really studied the book of Zechariah, then I, I guarantee you, you're going to learn some things tonight about your Bible that you just didn't know. You're going to see some things that maybe you knew in other places of the Bible, but you didn't know existed in this book. And so uh, sit up and uh, give me your undivided attention and you're going to leave here uh, just fascinated with some things. I, I studied this book uh, quite a bit on Monday and then a little bit more yesterday and then even a little bit more today. I just can't put it down. Um, I just, uh, it seems like the, the, the deeper I dive, the more I get, the more I'm enjoying it. So put on uh, your thinking caps and uh, get ready to, if you take notes, I would encourage you to do that. By the way, on the back of your uh, uh, prayer sheet is our outline. And on the bottom of that outline is a QR code. And if you are digital, you like taking digital notes, you can scan the QR code and uh, you can take your notes on your phone or your tablet. We would encourage you to do that. And this is still in what we call the beta format, right? It's in, uh, it's getting tested. We're going to try to do this uh, for the Sunday morning and Sunday evening services in 2018. So if you are tech savvy, please use it and give me your feedback and let me know what you think needs to be tweaked. So, uh, but if you're not tech savvy and you like old paper and pen, then you can take copious notes there on the back of your uh, prayer sheet there. All right, Zechariah, uh, when uh, did he exist? He, or when did he uh, prophesy? He prophesied at the end of the 70-year Babylonian captivity. You may remember you have the ten northern tribes of uh, Israel, the two southern tribes of Judah. Uh, just really quick review. And uh, after um, uh, many years, uh, many decades of the northern uh, tribes uh, having nothing but rebellious, wicked kings, none of their kings were good, eventually they were carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. Okay. Then you have the two southern 
tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and uh, I believe there's a half tribe mixed in there as well. And so they uh, they were eventually carried away sometime later by the Babylonians for their wickedness. Much of the minor prophets we've looked at, uh, the prophets have either prophesied to the northern tribes of Israel or the southern tribes of Judah before they were carried away into captivity. Now, we come to Haggai and Zechariah. By the way, uh, uh, this week should have been Haggai. I am saving that for a Sunday evening service. So uh, don't think that I intentionally skipped it or that I'm afraid of it. We'll come back to that for another service. Uh, but we come to Haggai and Zechariah. They were what we call contemporaries. They lived about. The, they lived the same time. They probably knew each other. And uh, they preached to the same group of people. You say, well, who were these people? Well, they were the Jews. They were the Jews that were, had left Babylon and were coming back to Jerusalem where they would build that second temple. This would be the temple that would be around while Jesus was alive. This would be the temple that was destroyed by the Romans. And they were coming back uh, before that would be built and then be there while that was being built. So uh, they probably would have known people like Nehemiah. They may have known Daniel toward the end of his life. And so I'm just trying to give you a frame of reference uh, as far as when they, uh, Zechariah would have lived. And so that's who Zechariah, or rather that's when Zechariah prophesied and who he prophesied to. Now, a uh, little more specific about the prophet Zechariah. He was of the tribe of Levi. Uh, so he would have been uh, of the tribe of the priests. And he... Uh, proclaimed uh, a strong message, and it was a message to people that were very discouraged. Very discouraged. Now, you might remember Nehemiah coming back in, right, riding in on the horse, and the walls are broken down, and the people no doubt knew the prophecy that uh, the 70 years that they would uh, suffer, and uh, they, they would have known that for a couple of different reasons. And so they're looking around, the 70 years is over, and yes, uh, they're beginning to get allowed back into Jerusalem, but uh, there's people pillaging and running through and stealing from them. There's really no reason to see or no hope at all that their temple's going to be built, the walls are going to be built, and the people are very discouraged. And i got to say that at this point, their national pride was very, very low. Low. Very, very low. So Zechariah's sermon, he, as sermons he preached, they pointed to three different phases of time. They pointed to the past. And in his sermons preaching about the past, he said, hey, look at the mess that we have inherited because of what our forefathers did. Interesting note that the Israelites never struggled with idolatry after they were carried into Babylon. God finally got them to learn the lesson. You don't find them struggling with idolatry ever again. They were carried away to Babylon and God taught them their lesson. Now they would struggle with other sins but not idolatry. And here they're, they're carried away and, uh, and, and Zechariah is saying to them as they're coming back, Hey, listen, look at the mess your forefathers have created through their idolatry. Don't you do the same. What's the old message? What's the old uh, adage? If you, one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history, right? And he's saying, don't make that mistake. Learn from our history. And so his sermons involved the past. His sermons involved the present. What was he preaching about the people there that were the present? He was saying, God can use you to rebuild the temple, but your motives better be pure. If you're trying to do this for political gain, and that's the beginning and end of it, you will not prosper. 
You will not prosper. You better be doing this out of a heart that is pure. And then a good chunk of the book involves his message for the future. And uh, actually the book can be broken down. Uh, Zechariah 1 verses 1 through 6 uh, is a sermon to the people about the past. Uh, verse 7 down through uh, uh, toward the end of chapter 8 involves uh, nine dreams that he has. And then, uh, uh, so they are uh, uh, the dreams, and then they are an explanation about the dreams. And then uh, chapters 9 through 14 involve uh, the coming Messiah, both his first coming and his second coming. So t- tonight, we're going to look uh, up through the end of those dreams. Next week, we're going to conclude the book by talking about uh, how he drew all those dreams together for the people, and then look at the coming Messiah. So his future for the, his sermon for the future was, hey, uh, uh, you can have hope because your Messiah, your Savior, Israel, Judah, is coming. Now, I find Zechariah to just be a fascinating book. If you've never studied this book, you're going to get a lot of really interesting things tonight. And so, uh, let's get our pens out or our fingers out on those keyboards and let's get ready to take some notes. Let's jump in here and we're going to make it down through the second point. We'll come back and look at points three and four. Um, or rather, uh, points three, four, and five next week. Number one, let's first look at the prophet's challenge. The prophet's challenge. Go back with me to Zechariah chapter number one. Turn back over one. We're going to look at the first six verses here. And we're going to see how that the prophet challenged these people. Okay? Look at verse number one there. It says, In the eighth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of uh, Berchiah, uh, the son of uh, Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Okay? So here again, he's preaching about the past. He's saying, The Lord was not happy with the way that your forefathers lived. He uh, goes on, verse 3, Therefore, say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 4. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Turn ye now from the evil ways and from your evil doings. But uh, they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Uh, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statues, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like is the Lord of hosts uh, thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so hath he dealt with us. Now, if you've been in the Wednesday evening Bible studies, then uh, as we've gone through the Minor Prophets, you've stepped back and gone, like, like, gone like uh, Zechariah here, yeah, you bunch of dummies, you had all these prophets preaching at you and telling you to straighten up and none of you listened. None of you listen, and you deserve to be carried away in a Babylon. You ignored and you ignored and you ignored and you oppressed the poor, and you were mean and nasty and rotten, and you deserve to be carried away. And so, Zechariah here is saying, listen, uh, God was sore displeased with your forefathers, and again, this is 70 years removed. Uh, a good chunk of the people he's speaking to were probably born in Babylon, and uh, they're, uh, they're younger, right? And so they weren't there to see this. They weren't there to know that. Now, we do know that there were those that did know that. Uh, but um, uh, the majority of them wouldn't have known, so he's giving them a history lesson. And he's saying to them, he's saying, hey guys, learn from history. Learn from history. The other thing I've noted here is that in verse 3, he says to them, turn ye unto me. Now, he's not talking about to himself, he's talking about to the Lord. 
Turn ye unto me, and what's going to happen? I will turn unto you. That sounds like James chapter 4, doesn't it? Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded, right? And the idea here is that if you will take a step toward God, God will take a step toward you. Right? And that didn't just apply in the New Testament. This was true for them here. They were coming back. You go all the way back to the book of Ezra, and you realize that as Ezra arrived on the scene, uh, this would be a few years beyond Zechariah, or rather the writings here of Zechariah, Ezra shows up on the scene, and these men are all married to a bunch of uh, godless pagan women, and Ezra mourns and weeps, and he says, look, we've got to ship these women out of here. The ones that won't repent and turn, we've got to ship them out of here. And so uh, he's saying here, listen, we've got to learn from history. You take steps toward God, they'll take steps toward you. By the way, understanding the books of Haggai and Zechariah help us understand that these prophets paved the way for Ezra to come in and preach that sermon and for the people to mourn and repent and turn. Now, verse number 4 there, he says there, he says, don't be like your fathers. Why? Because they ignored the prophets. They ignored the prophets. Don't be one of those people that listens to biblical preaching and ignores it. Don't do that. Now, we, have, uh, we, we are probably two generations in, removed from a time in America where people actually listen to preaching. You say, Pastor, when was the last time the masses listened to the preaching? I know that during the 1930s, uh, the New York Times and the Baltimore Sun and papers of that sort would publish on the front page of their papers sermons by Billy Sunday. That was back when America listened to preaching. Billy Sunday would come into a town, he would preach against booze, and the bars would shut down because they didn't have any business. In fact, the movement became so strong against alcohol, the U.S. Congress passed a law signed, in, uh, signed by the President that made alcohol illegal. Why? Because the preaching was dominating hearts. Now, uh, it, that didn't last long. FDR comes in and pro, uh, prohibition's repealed and we're right back to where we were. And you, you know what? People really haven't, I'm talking about the masses, really haven't been listening to preaching since the 1930s. They just haven't. Our hearts have grown colder and colder. And I would say to you, don't be like your fathers. Now, if you're here tonight and you have a mom and dad that listen to preaching, be like your fathers. But the majority of folks don't have that. Mom and dad went to church out of habit. But, you know... Preacher who preach against something out of the Bible and they go home and keep living that. Don't do that. Don't ignore the prophets. And then the other reason why he told them not to be like uh, their fathers in verse 4 is because they just continued in their sin. They listened to the preaching and they continued in their sin. And um, um, Zechariah makes a strong point here. Look at verse 5. He says, your fathers, where are they? Hey, where are they at? You know where they're at? They're buried in Babylon. They're buried in the land of captivity. You want to keep living like your fathers? You want to do that? You're going to get carried back into captivity too. That's the end result of sin. And so he said, we're, we're on the way back, or we have just arrived back in Jerusalem, from Babylon where you were born. And your fathers are dead there because they were hard-hearted and stubborn. Don't be like them. 
And so what was Zechariah's challenge? What was the prophet's challenge? It was, hey, listen, learn from the past and don't repeat it in the present because it will hurt you in the future the way it did your parents. So we see, number one, the prophet's challenge. Number two, notice the dream's correlations. The dream's correlations. Now, uh, the first eight dreams... Uh, Correlate very interesting. Now, up, up on the screen in a moment, you'll see how they correlate, but uh, visually you'll see how they correlate. Let me tell you how they correlate before they go up on the screen. Dream 1 and Dream 8 correlate with each other. Okay, Dream 2 and Dream 7 correlate with each other. Dream 3 and Dream 6 correlate with each other. And Dream 4 and Dream 5 correlate with each other. And then Dream 9 comes back and correlates with 4 or 5. We'll put it up on the screen for you so it'll make sense in a minute. But 1 and 8, 2 and 7, 3 and 6, 4 and 5. What happened was, uh, verse 7, look at verse 7 with me. Upon the 4 and 20th day of the 11th month, uh, uh, which is the month of uh, Sebat, uh, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of uh, Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, and then look at verse 8, I saw by night. So he's dreaming. He has nine different dreams, and uh, these all correlate with each other, and God is trying to communicate four different message through, messages through these nine dreams, both to his people directly, and some of these have a double meaning that involve prophecy, some of which has come true, and some of which is yet to come true. So this is where we're going to really dive in tonight to these dreams and seek to understand them. Now let me say a couple of things about dreams. God used dreams uh, that people had during Bible times in order to help give us Scripture. It's very important to understand this. Uh, there were there was a time uh, back before the Bible was completed, and God would speak to various people through dreams to communicate important messages to them. Now, First uh, Corinthians thirteen tells us that when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part, this being dreams and tongues and these things, shall be done away. We have that which is perfect. It's come. It's right here. It's in our hands. The Bible. God does not speak to people through dreams any longer. If you have a dream and you have an angel speak to you, um, you had too, ma- too many anchovies on your pizza at 11 o'clock at night. God just doesn't work that way anymore. Uh, I was talking uh, with someone last night. I was out soul with Brother Verone, and uh, we witnessed to a gentleman for quite a while. Pray for him that he gets saved. Uh, he's he's uh, contemplating it and considering it. had lots of questions, but... Uh, the guy asked me, he said, has God ever audibly spoken to you? And I said, no. No. God doesn't audibly speak to us. Now, He speaks through our spirit, and He'll plant thoughts in our mind, potentially. He'll move in our emotions, but He doesn't speak audibly to us. Now, in Bible times, He did. Before the Bible was written, He doesn't do that anymore. So, we're going to look at Zechariah's dreams. Daniel, by the way, had some visions and dreams, and God spoke to Daniel that way, gave us a lot of prophecy, and He's done the same thing through Zechariah. Now, Daniel's are greatly studied, much more than Zechariah's, but uh, we're going to jump into these dreams tonight and try to understand them. I love the um, detail that God gives us here. He doesn't always do this. Uh, Verse 7 tells us the exact date that these dreams were given. This this is fascinating to me. I don't know if it will be to you. Um, you, We know which month, um, let's see there, we know which month Sebat is on our calendar. That's the month of February. Okay, Upon the 4 and 20th day, so this would have been February 24th, 519 B.C. 
That's when he had these dreams. I don't know if you care about that. I thought that was really neat. All right, that we have the exact date he had these dreams. Okay, uh, let me uh, let me give the give you uh, uh, the dreams here and how they correlate. Okay, letter A. Let's look at the four horsemen of peace. The four horsemen of peace, and this involves dream one and dream eight. Okay, get your thinking caps on. We're going to look at some dreams. By the way, these dreams in a lot of ways are similar to yours in that they don't seem to fit together, except they do. They just don't look like it on the surface, but there's great meaning to them. Look down at verse 8 here. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind them... Uh, uh, behind him were their red horses speckled in white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered, look here, the angel of the Lord. I believe this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, okay, the angel of the Lord. And they answered, the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. So uh, we're going to look at these same, uh, or rather we're going to look at four other uh, uh, horsemen in a moment uh, in the eighth dream. But in this particular dream, the emphasis here are more on the riders than they are on the horses. Now, again, the angel of the Lord here, I believe, is an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And verse 10, verse 10 tells us that the horses and their riders represent God's heavenly army that are patrolling the earth. I believe that still goes on today. I believe that's part of the uh, spiritual war of principalities and powers of darkness that goes on over our heads, uh, described in Ephesians chapter 6. What was the message of these four horses, or rather the, the riders that sat on their four horses? It was that there is peace among the Gentiles uh, now that the Persians have taken over. So looking at the historical reference, okay, the Persians came over and took over Babylon, and King Cyrus uh, uh, was uh, called out by God by, uh, through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before, called out by name and said, you're going to let my people go and, and, and give them their freedom back. And so um, uh, now that the Persians are in charge, these horsemen, these riders on these horses are uh, roaming the earth and they come back and communicate that there is Gentile, there is peace among the Gentiles. Now, while there was peace among the Gentiles, there was not peace in Israel. Because the Israelites were now under Gentile rule, and that was not ideal for them. But nonetheless, uh, this current message of peace. All right, Dream number eight, we'll see that uh, four other horsemen, or four other uh, horses here. Turn over to chapter six, verse number one. Chapter six, verse number one. This is the eighth dream here. It says, And I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked. And behold, there came four chariots out of, uh, from between two mountains. Okay, And the mountains were made of brass. We'll come back to that in a minute. In the first chariot uh, were red horses. And in the second chariot, black horses. And in the third chariot, white horses. And in the fourth chariot, uh, grizzled and bay horses. Then I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, These are the four spirits of the heavens. I would refer you to over to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 7, and you get an idea of what that is. Which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. 
the black horse which are uh, therein go forth into the north country, and the white go forth after them, and the grizzled go forth toward the south country, and the bay went forth uh, and sought to go that they might walk to and fro through the, uh, through the earth. And he said, Get you hence, walk to and fro th- uh, through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Then he cried, then cried he unto me and uh, spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country. Okay, so let's talk about this for just a moment here. Back in verse 1, you see there the two mountains, uh, uh, and the mountains were made of brass. Now, in the Bible, brass symbolizes uh, judgment and forgiveness. Judgment and forgiveness. Let me give you a few instances here. The brazen altar outside the tabernacle where the, uh, uh, the sacrifices were performed. And then also the altar that was inside the temple was covered in brass. Both representing the sacrifice that was made on it uh, and the judgment that happened. The judgment of sin and then the forgiveness of sin because of it. Another example of brass would be uh, one we've talked about all year long with the lift him up theme. The brazen serpent, right? Where uh, the serpent was held up in the wilderness and then everyone that looked on it uh, lived. And so what did that represent? That represented, the sermon up there represented uh, the punishment, and then it also represented forgiveness and healing. And then the Lord's feet, when He judges the churches, will be feet of brass. Feet of brass. So, three different instances in the Bible, and then we see here uh, that these mountains are uh, mountains of brass and that they're coming out from between two mountains. Now, we don't know uh, where there are two mountains of brass, so this is probably symbolic, uh, but uh, these horsemen, these chariots are coming through there. And while the emphasis were, uh, was on the riders in the first dream, the emphasis is more on the horses in this eighth dream. Now, um, you might ask, well, what does the color of the horses mean? And by the way, I believe this passage to be talking about the end times or the tribulation uh, period. If um, uh, if you know much about the book of Revelation, I know Brother Verone's going over that in his Bible study in here on Sunday mornings, but Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, we find the four horsemen. And the red horse symbolizes war. Uh, the black horse symbolizes famine out of Revelation 6. The white horse symbolizes death. And here in Zechariah chapter 6, we find a dappled horse or a bay horse. And you don't find that one in Revelation chapter number 6. So if the, uh, if the horses here hold true to the horses in Revelation 6, which I believe they do, uh, what you have is you have a, uh, a horse of war, a horse of famine, and a horse of death represented here. Um, now you look at the words uh, north and south. Okay, what, what is that in reference to? Well, put yourself where Zechariah was at the time. Zechariah is in the country of uh, Israel, in the city of Jerusalem. And so north of them would have been Babylon. So I believe that that's talking about Babylon. And if you read on down there, that would seem to indicate that to be the case. And then south of them would have been Egypt. All that to say that God is going to send His four winds or His four spirits through horsemen to judge the earth during the tribulation. And so this eighth vision, uh, uh, the first vision there, first dream, talked about the four horsemen that were present there then during Zechariah's day. The eighth dream deals with uh, these same four uh, horses during the end times, or rather during that seven-year tribulation where they will rain down wrath 
on the earth. Okay, so uh, that deals with the four horsemen. Let's uh, go to letter B and let's look at a reminder of sin in exile. Some of this will be informational. Uh, we will make some points of application tonight, and I hope to do that here. Uh, so, dreams 1 and 8 correlated. Dreams 2 and 7 correlate. Let's look at dream number 2. Turn back over to chapter number 1, and let's look at verse number 18, and we'll see how both of these deal with sin and exile. Some of you probably have your head spinning right now. We're going um, book by book through the Bible. I don't normally get this deep, okay? Uh, so uh, if you're visiting tonight or you're new here, uh, I would say come back on Sunday morning. I'll give you a much simpler sermon to digest, amen? Uh, but uh, chapter 1, verse 18, it's always fun to dive below the surface and study uh, deeper. It says there, Then lifted I up mine eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. Four horns, all right? That's important. We'll come back to that. And I said unto the angel that talked to me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me for carpenters. All right, that's also important. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these, the carpenters, are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their uh, horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. So God is reminding, uh, here God is reminding Zechariah through this vision and then on through Zechariah to the people through this vision of a time where they were scattered because of their idolatry. And so um, in, anytime you find a horn in the Bible, like you find in verse 18 and on through verse 21, anytime you find a horn in the Bible, that is a symbol of power. That is a symbol of power. And so, who were the four powers that carried away the Israelites, uh, or rather oppressed the Israelites, and then the Judeans or the city of Jerusalem? So, the four horns, I'll give you these, the four horns would have been Assyria, carrying away the Israelites, and then the Babylonians that carried away the uh, Judeans. And then Persia came in and they uh, oppressed the uh, Israelites. And then behind the Persians were the Greeks. And they also, on some level, oppressed the Israelites. You say, well, so those were the four horns that scattered Israel, that hurt Israel. And again, if you're here and you've studied this in depth and you vehemently disagree with me, uh, come by my office, we'll talk about it, and I'd love to get your take, okay? Uh, but I don't think there's any reason for anybody to be unkind or nasty. If uh, if you disagree with me, it's all good, alright? We uh, we can agree on salvation and the main doctrines. The four carpenters, alright? So, some of these carpenters would become Horns, okay? So some of these carpenters would come in and rip up the horn that had hurt Israel before, and then later they would turn around and oppress Israel. Now, remember, uh, I'm going to play on your smarts here, if you've been coming to church and listening. Who carried away the ten northern tribes? What, what country was that? A little louder? Assyria. So the Assyrians carried away the ten northern tribes, who would eventually demolish and wipe out the Assyrians? Anybody here know? The Babylonians, right? So the Babylonians would punish the Assyrians for what they did. I'm going to make a really neat application here in a minute. All right? So um, uh, the Babylonians, not only did they carry away the Assyrians and punish them, they would also carry away the Judeans. So the Babylonians would begin as a carpenter and then become the second horn. Now, who came in and carried away... Uh, the Babylonians, or punish the Babylonians. I just said it a few minutes ago. It was Persia. 
So Persia would be the second carpenter. They would come in and they would punish Babylon for what they did to Israel, but then they would turn around and become a horn as they would be ones that oversaw and even on some level oppressed the Judeans. All right, Who came in and carried away the Persians? Or rather, punished the Persians? It was the Greeks, right? Uh, so the Greeks would be the third carpenter, the third carpenter, and um, uh, then the Greeks would turn around and they would oppress the Israelites. And then uh, the great Roman Empire would be the fourth carpenter. And they would come in and they would rip up the Greeks and they would take over the world as Pinky and the Brain would once say. Amen? To so get a modern uh, uh, reference in there. Here's something I want you to see. You see how God protected His people? You see how that these other nations are demolishing each other? but they're not demolishing the Jews? Maybe that's because in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. Um, The best thing America could do today is stand by the Jews. Don't ever let anybody tell you. And um, I'm not not here to dictate your uh, news-watching habits But if you're watching a news channel or a news program and they are very hard on this decision to move our embassy to Jerusalem, you probably need to switch your news source because they don't carry the same biblical worldview that you ought to carry. Um, We are to stand with Israel. And I was sitting around the table last night before a visitation talking to some of our uh, men about the Bible study tonight and uh, I was, made this comment, I'll make it again here. You can't study and understand the minor prophets and be anti-Semitic. You can't do it. Because Israel is all over the end times. Jesus is going to set up and rule and reign from Jerusalem as an Israeli. So he wants us to stand by them. Um, I, I really appreciate our uh, ambassador to the UN who has very... Firmly, to me, she's an all-star, has very firmly, uh, Miss Nikki Haley, has stood there and reprimanded the U.N. for trying to take a shot at the U.S. for wanting to move our embassy there. And i got to say, President Trump, do not back down on that decision. God protected the Israelites through this. But in this dream, he's reminding them, I can send other countries to punish you too if you don't straighten up and fly right. All right, let's look at dream seven. This is maybe the strangest dream of them all. All right, uh, we may have to, um, we may not make it all the way through the dreams tonight. I knew I wasn't going to get through the whole Bible study. Look at chapter five, chapter five, and verse number five here, and we'll see here another example of this. This this dream here, uh, I think I've got my mind wrapped around, but it's just odd. All right, this is one of those that you have when you have too much ice cream late at night. Verse five. Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up thine eyes. And see what it is that goeth forth. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah. Now, an ephah is a a basket, okay? An ephah that goeth forth. He said, moreover, this is their resemblance through all the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. And this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. And he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah. And he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then lifted up, uh, lifted I up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, 
for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephod between the earth and the heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, whether, uh, whither do these bear the ephod? Where are they going with ephod? And he said unto me, to build it uh, in a house in the land of Shinar, Shinar being Babylon. And it shall be established and uh, set there upon her own base. So um, these, um, he's dreaming and he sees this woman being picked up and thrown down in this basket. And then she keeps trying to climb out of the basket. And so they take a lid that is a heavy, uh, uh, filled with lead, okay, so it's heavy, and they put it down on top of the basket so she can't get out. And she's fighting and trying to get out, and these two women that have stork wings come and pick up the basket and carry it away to Babylon. And, you know, if you had a dream like that, you'd wake up going, <sighs> right? Or at least going, man, that was weird. Right, And so Zechariah is asking this angel uh, who's uh, accompanying him in his dream, he says, what in the world does that mean? And so uh, um, uh, here's what I believe the dream to mean. Okay, uh, Interestingly enough, the word wickedness, um, I'm going to have a hard time not making a joke here. Okay, The word wickedness in the Hebrew is a feminine word. It's a feminine word. I'll tell you about you women. No, I'm just teasing. All right, I'm married to a woman, and listen, uh, if anybody's wicked, it's not her, it's me. Um, so it's interesting that the person being thrown in the basket is a woman. I believe that is because the word wickedness is a feminine word. And so uh, that wickedness is symbolized by a woman being cast into the basket. Here's what I believe this is to symbolize or mean. And I've read lots of commentaries on this dream and there are as many commentaries I've read there's that many explanations and so I'll pick the one that I believe is the most accurate or at least the safest one I believe that this is just uh, God reminding Zechariah of how he had his people carried away into captivity hey you all wanted to act wickedly and so I had Babylon come and carry you away into the land of Shinar into the land of Babylon and this is to remind you that I can and will do this again a vision of sin and exile. Um, you may do wrong and think you're getting away with it like the Israelites did for uh, 490 years. And for 490 years they endured sermons, but nothing really happened. Then the day come, came, or when they were punished. You do wrong and you kind of flinch. Well, God's not going to punish you at that moment. I watched a video this week where a lady stood up on a stump and she said, God, if you're up there, strike me dead. And then she stumped, stepped off, and she said, see, there's no God. And the person next to her said, no, you don't understand. God's just very patient. God's not obligated to punish you in that moment. He's not obligated to punish you in that moment. But, but, He will eventually get you. And He's reminding them, look, I punished you before, I can punish you again. And so keep that warning. Alright, let's quickly look at... Uh, I tell you, it's A15. All right, we'll look at the last. Uh, 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 we'll look at C and D, and then the rest of this next week. We'll get it all in there. And so, listen. Uh, one thing I'll say uh, as we close is that uh, several times Zechariah says to the angel, "What does this mean?" All right, I'm gonna give you something you can hang your hat on tonight. You listening? Zechariah didn't understand something. He asked, and it was explained. What does James 1.5 tell us? Any of you lack wisdom? 
let him ask of God. Forgive it to all men liberally and abrayeth not. If you don't understand something in the Bible, don't just read it and go, that's weird. Lord, help me to understand this. Show me. Show me. Um, you come to a, uh, come to a Mark Bonitonimus or a Jay Barone or a Jim Owens or a John Segru or a Mike Syrett, one of our deacons or one of our other men in the church who know the Bible really well. Come to one of our pastor, pastors on the staff and have them help you uh, read it and understand it. But first, bow your head and pray and that God inside of you will help you to understand it. The Holy Spirit, if He indwells you, will help you to understand that. So um, you can leave here tonight like Zechariah. You don't have to get it all. But you have to know who to ask when you don't understand it. Let's have our heads bowed nice close tonight. We're not going to have an invitation this evening. Uh, but I would just say right where you're at that you just take a moment and just pray and ask God that he would give you wisdom not only to help you understand the Bible, but to help you know how to live. Will you learn from the mistakes of those before you, even the mistakes of those around you? And will you ask that God would help you to live a life that's pure?